Welcome to Digital Aspirations from Aspire Technology Partners, a podcast series where we discuss technology insights driving today's business transformation. This podcast is sponsored by Cisco. Aspire Technology Partners is a leading systems integrator and Cisco Gold certified partner. Welcome to the Digital Aspirations in Education podcast. I'm Arthur Germain, and our guest today is Christian Chavez. Christian, can you tell our audience a little bit about what you do? Yeah, sure. Thanks a lot, Arthur. Uh, I'm Christian Chavez. I'm the Data Center Cloud Solutions Architect for Aspire Technology Partners. Um, My focus is on, as my title states, uh, Data Center and Cloud. My background is from, I came from Cloud Managed Services, and now I'm helping out Aspire in the Data Center with all things compute, but mostly focused on cloud. That's terrific. Because today, what we really want to focus on is the cloud and its use in educational environments. So I have a, a few questions for you. And, and you know, feel free uh, to kind of riff on any of these questions uh, for the audience. <laughs> yeah. So the first is a, a simple, why would my school or my school district want to move to the cloud in the first place? I mean, what benefits does the cloud provide over a traditional on-premise solution? Wow, you said simple. Um, it's not quite that simple. So let's just take a, take a step back, right? Because I think um, the benefits actually are determined on based on who's going to consume it or use it, right? So in, in terms of education, um, each education space or, or district, you know, kind of they they kind of roll out their own uh, IT infrastructure. Uh, they may be part of a larger organization who provides services to them. So they kind of consume things differently. So the benefits are different across the board, but ultimately there is the benefits that uh, we can go over. Um, so moving to the cloud, let's just, again, now level set the word cloud, because that's sort of like um, a term that just kind of gets thrown around. And what that means uh, to education really is about removing boundaries, right? So the benefits are about removing those boundaries. And then we can go from there. So if we remove those boundaries of what we know as cloud, cloud could be um, your education LMS, right? Moving out to a SaaS-based offering um, or taking just your compute infrastructure and leveraging maybe a hyperscaler cloud like AWS, or perhaps you're just consuming services from Azure, um, whether it's database services, or maybe you're just consuming some of their compute. So there's a lot of different levels of what we'll consider cloud, but ultimately leveraging any of those infrastructure really brings a lot of benefits um, into certain areas of education, right? Um, I would ask, like, what what did uh, our IT teams in education do when 2020 hit, right? When the when the pandemic hit and everybody had to go remote, um, people really felt how they weren't actually realizing benefits of what cloud infrastructure could do, which is removing those boundaries, that, as I mentioned earlier. So because we're in constraint or IT infrastructure is constrained inside of education, uh, being able to be flexible enough to have your staff and and your students move out to their homes and start consuming, um, you know, services. There was a lot of there was a scrambling that was actually happening, right? So that's one way to determine, you know, were you ready for cloud and what were the benefits? Um, if you were, right? If you're already consuming that, right there is one of the benefits. Is the, you know, it gives you the flexibility to actually extend out um, in any situation. But um, as as we have seen, I'd have cons- I'd had conversations with uh, a lot of the IT teams. 
and they weren't ready, right? So going back to the question, the benefits, right, is, as I mentioned, the flexibility, the ease of use, the consuming of services, um, and the cost benefits. So going back to my original, um, what I said about 2020, is look at the virtual, you know, the virtual classroom today. What does it look like today? Most people have figured it out, right? We've had two years of figuring out the virtual classroom. So being able to now offer services to students um, that can now be remote, right? We're still kind of dealing with some of the uh, some of the things that are going on with inside of education when it comes to classroom environments. Um, there's a lot of mandates, constraints that are going on. Some people are still doing remote, um, and some people are actually back into the buildings. So now the schools have to kind of look at that model and say, okay, I have remote learners and I have in-class learners, and how do we manage all of this? Um, so one of the benefits is going to be, you know, the virtual classroom environments, because now you're able to scale a lot faster as uh, students are either being remote. So you kind of like shrink and increase at the same time uh, based on that utilization. I'm, I'm, I hope that at one point we're going to get to a point where, you know, everybody's back in either back in brick and mortar, you know, we're back in school, everybody's live classrooms. But it, it seems to be that the virtual classroom seems it, it might be here to stay because now schools can actually increase their student, um, um, the traction that comes into school, right? The, the amount of students that they can actually um, service are not now limited to a, just a physical location. We can actually add remote learning because we figured that out, right? Um, that's one way of the benefits. And that was the biggest one that we've seen in the last two years is that ability to be able to scale out um, virtual classrooms. Um, accessibility, uh, that's another one of the benefits, right? You have access, as I'd mentioned, um, a lot of these uh, applications that the schools were using are now moving to a SaaS-based platform, which is still considered cloud, right? Because it's not on your infrastructure. There's no the, You're paying a monthly cost to be able to provide these services to your student um, and the teachers. So a lot of the accessibility to LMS, uh, SaaS-based learning systems, or even um, hyperscales, as I mentioned, like AWS, Azure, they provide um, a pay, you know, a monthly pay-as-you-go type environment. And as you need it, you scale um, real quick. Um, one of the things that we're dealing with today, right, are the, the, um, the shortages that are happening. We're not getting infrastructure fast enough to be able to see the growth that's actually happening inside of the data center. So we're dealing with this this crisis now of some shortages where we're trying to get some products in. Servers are being delayed. Um, the chip manufacturers are having some issues. So now getting product into the data centers has become cumbersome. And if you're leveraging cloud, a lot of the benefits, as I'd mentioned, is there's no there's it's it's the ease of use, the access to the compute um, and hardware that lives somebody else lives lives somewhere else. Um, you now have access to at any any given time, right? So you're able to scale much faster. So having access to those resources and services is key in education, right? Because as you're bringing more students in, you need to grow at a faster rate. Um, and as I'd mentioned before, a lot of this is, is really with cost savings. So the cost savings aspect of it is you pay for what you consume. So when you buy infrastructure for, let's just say, a school in whichever way they're consuming it, um, whether you're purchasing it from somebody, uh, an IT infrastructure inside of a statewide funded program, or maybe your district is just taking on the full um, impact of, of 
buying into data center, right? So when you buy data center, there's a cost up front, there's a capital expenditure that happens there. And then when the summer months come, you're still paying for that, right? Whereas if you're if you're doing virtual classrooms or you're actually have services provided to students um, and teachers, when summertime comes, you can actually scale all that back. So you now are presented with a cost savings over the time that the students aren't in school. So you're able to, as I'd mentioned, you're able to grow and shrink based on utilization from student traffic, right? So there's and there's a lot more cost savings too when you add automation and some of the other services that you can consume on um, either a traffic-based or consumption-based monthly costs as opposed to a capital expenditure. Um, another great benefit, right? Everyone has this top of mind. We've got a rampant issue with ransomware. We've got issues with security. Um, and if you offload that to a service-based security, that could be in a cloud, whether it's just a service you consume, SaaS-based service, or you build your own security services inside of a cloud-based solution like AWS and Azure. So now you're able to leverage their secure um, features that they provide rather than you having to buy and purchase and look for other products that would meet your needs. Uh, most hyperscalers today provide that security aspect um, as a service all in one. Plus you also, you know, those products that typical education space is using today to actually secure uh, their infrastructure, their data, um, you know, they have to look for those products. Those pro products are also available out in the clouds as well. So you can not only, you don't have to pay for it up front, you can actually consume it again as a month to month model inside of AWS or Azure, one of those others. Um, and I do want to preface that, you know, I keep mentioning AWS and Azure and Google's another one, right, in for education, which is really big. Um, but there are other clouds out there. I'd mentioned earlier that I came from a cloud-based model um, before I came to Aspire, and that cloud base was actually built on top of VMware, right? So a lot of the impact that happens when any IT organization is trying to scale out to what we consider cloud, um, such as AWS, there's a lot of work that has to happen from the application's perspective to you to be able to either replatform or redo your whole application stack inside of AWS. If you leverage another cloud provider that actually provides you a VMware underlying platform, you, you can take your existing virtualized environment and just move it. And, and they provide the same services um, like security and access and flexibility. All those are all built in. And it, it's not just the hyperscalers that are doing that. So there are options out there um, if somebody's trying to, to make that move. Um, I had mentioned scalability, al agility is uh, one of the other ones. And you're not buying the hardware up front. You're not locked into a hardware um, where now, if nobody's running anything on it, you're still paying for it. So again, the consumption model is really uh, the cost savings that would be realized. Um, and one last thing I do want to mention is a lot of these, a lot of the schools are actually providing services to students. So they do have applications that they're providing to students, and those applications um, are, are great fit for a cloud-based model, whether it's SaaS-based. Um, or whether it's actually being built, or maybe it could be an off-the-shelf solution that you can consume as a service inside of one of the hyperscaler clouds. Um, again, now you're paying based on consumption, and it also gives you some flexibility in how you actually uh, deliver that um, in terms of proximity or maybe how it's being developed. Um, so a lot of these tools that are being provided to you from cloud services 
are, you know, you get to leverage. And a lot of a lot of the tools, you know, they come with some free aspect to it. There's also um, some other aspects that are um, driven by the amount of information that's traversed between um, your IT infrastructure and the cloud. And so that's the consumption model. But yeah, so I would say like those are some of the benefits that I'm seeing and having conversations around uh, when it comes to putting education in the cloud. That that's great, Christian. I appreciate uh, you walking everybody through that. And um, you know, I want to circle back on that one uh, last part that you talked about: the kind of applications that uh, can be moved to the cloud. Uh, I think everyone's familiar with um, the communication applications that were that were cloud based. The the Zooms and WebEx and and the other types and uh, you know I, I'm not sure if we'll ever get past uh, you know asking somebody hey are you still on mute could you take yourself off mute <laughs> yeah uh, I've heard from teachers that they want to be able to say that in the classroom live hey please put yourself on mute and uh, but could you maybe talk a little bit about some of the maybe not so obvious applications that. Um, might be, uh, you know, might be moved to the cloud for for educational institutions, you know, beyond that that you know communication that we're all seeing. Yeah, and so, so when when you're talking applications, there's a few things to take into consideration. Um, and you know, can this be moved to cloud? Um, is there a SaaS based service already in play for it? Um, if it is, what does that look like? How do we connect? How do you know if it's a student service? How do they connect? So there's a lot of things that you need to take into consideration when it comes to moving an application and, you know, helping determine that really is just a, a process of discovery. How are things consumed? Um, is this an in-house application? Is it a off-the-shelf application? Um, and as I mentioned earlier, right, how, how are we going to consume this if it was in cloud? Um, one of the things to understand is, is applications are the key um, things inside what I see as, as um inside of education because it's the, the students are experiencing, right? Their experiences are based through applications. So some of the applications, um, they're consuming Blackboard today. There's other open source LMS uh, services that are being consumed as well. Um, and it's the student experience and it's not just that, right? So we have education that are still like today are building apps. We live on apps on our phone. We walk around with our phones and the experience of either finding your way through school or getting access to grades, or getting access to services that are being provided by education. Again, these are all applications that are being consumed by the student who essentially is paying the school for a service, right? Um, and at the same time, the, the teachers as well consume these services. So your audience being the student and the teachers and the faculty, um, applications are like the lifeblood of education and how people are consuming um, that experience. So when you're looking at that application, the interaction between the student the uh, and the teachers and the faculty, what's that going to look like? What's the impact and what's the ease of use? Um, we get into development, right? So how are these things being developed? I, I mentioned you're either developing applications or they're coming off, you know, some off the shelf um, solution that they're they're pushing out. Can this be put into cloud? Some Some solutions can't be, right? So... There, you know, when, when we're talking cloud, I don't want to say that everything belongs in cloud, right? There is a time to move to cloud and there's a time to build on-prem, right? So there has to be a hybrid aspect between the two. Um, so your application needs to be hybrid as well. So if you're, if you're trying to stretch from on-prem to out in cloud, or maybe it's a SaaS-based solution, 
Um, it needs to be able to handle load. It needs to be able to perform correctly. So when we talk about applications and what can be moved or what kind of data can be moved, it really is going to be determined by the, the, the access and the level of performance you're going to get, right? So what's the offset if I keep it on-prem or if I move it to cloud? Um, I mentioned earlier, if you have a development team that's developing applications for services that students are consuming, there are tools that you can leverage inside of cloud that help your teams actually um, get the code out faster, get it deployed quickly. Um, in today's day and age, we're developing and pushing out as fast as we can, right? Back in the day, it was you pushed out maybe once, twice a year, um, and then everybody suffered until you did. But now it's it's a constant movement of this um, develop, push out, test, put it into some type of environment where, where it can be consumed and then ultimately out to production because we want to get those applications out to the students and faculty as fast as we can. Um, what makes for a good application in the cloud? As I'd mentioned, things that are modular, things that are being developed in today's standards. Um, we talk about containers a lot when we talk in cloud and development. Um, those are the things that you can kind of look at that you're going to consume as a service, which is going to be a cost benefit to you. Because as I'd mentioned before, is you're able to scale things according to the traffic patterns that are happening in school, right? So if you have an application that you've built, or it could be off the shelf application that can be in cloud. Um, if you need the resources to run an application that's performant, obviously during the day when the students are online, when the students are in uh, the building consuming these services, you're going to need a lot more infrastructure. So you scale the infrastructure up, right? Once the, once the, uh, the students go home and it's after hours, you can now release a lot of those resources. So there's a cost savings to that. Automating the growth and the shrinking of infrastructures where you realize a lot of these cost benefits. Um, so those are the types of applications that are key to be able to move into cloud, right? And I mentioned earlier, there's a SaaS-based version of a lot of these applications as well, where you're just consuming a monthly um, per student kind of uh, scenario. They're doing the same thing on the back end, right? So the more traffic they see, the patterns that they're seeing, they drive infrastructure up and down and scale just as if you would if you were consuming cloud. So when I think of these apps and I look back at, Okay, we got learning systems, we have student service systems, we have faculty systems. Um, what's the uptime necessary for these applications? One thing we didn't talk about, right, is the uptime. So applications have to be available at all times. That's another key uh, piece that we have to consider in your application. If it doesn't need to be up and we don't need to do any kind of high availability or make sure that it's resilient, um, and it's it's cost effective enough to run on prem. Then let's keep it on prem. But if you had need something that needs to be up all the time, resilient, you build for that resiliency. Um, and if you want to do that on prem, it's it, it can be quite costly to try to keep something that's resilient from a, an infrastructure, from hardware, from power to cooling to um, uh, all these different things that uh, have to keep all these things running. Um, really affect whether you're going to be resilient or not. The cloud offers that, right? So any cloud infrastructure would offer the resiliency at the hardware level, um, at the disaster recovery level is something that you'd have to build in, but you build, you know, you have to build that into your infrastructure. But again, you have the flexibility because there are no borders when it comes to talking about cloud, right? There's no parameters. It's, it's sort of like a, 
you can run whatever you want at whatever time you want and consume. Obviously, there's a cost associated, but again, with keeping that in mind, we want to drive costs down. I imagine, and I know I've talked to a lot of IT systems who are looking to drive costs down, and that's the way you drive costs down. You you make it elastic, meaning you grow when you need it and you shrink it when you don't, and there's your cost savings. Christian, that's great. And I, I really want to thank you for joining us and for walking everyone through uh, part one as we talked about uh, some of the benefits of the cloud for education, as well as some of the applications that we use. And I want everyone to join us for part two when uh, Christian is going to walk us through a little bit about what you should expect as you deploy the cloud to your team and maybe we'll, we'll get into a migration timetable for the cloud. Thank you, everyone, for joining us for the Digital Aspirations in Education podcast. Digital Aspirations in Education is brought to you by Aspire Technology Partners, a premier technology solutions and services provider designing, implementing, delivering, and managing digital infrastructure and IoT solutions to enable transformational educational outcomes, creating more agile and efficient IT environments that deliver differentiated customer experiences for your organization. To learn more about Aspire Technology Partners, visit AspireTransforms.com or email us at podcast at aspiretransforms.com. <laughs>